Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, May 5th, we're studying Acts chapter 5, verses 1 to 21a. Attacks against the Christian church come not only from without, they also come from within. St. Luke records the serious matter of Satan filling the hearts of Ananias and Sapphira with hypocrisy. And yet, the Lord's promise still holds true, the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Sam Wergau. Pastor Wergau serves at Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Ossian, Indiana. Pastor Wergau, welcome back to Sharp Iron. It's good to be with you. As we get started, let's talk a little context. What do we need to know as we prepare to look at this text from Acts chapter 5? Right, so Acts 5 kind of opens up. Um, it's almost kind of like a counterpoint, I think, a little bit to what uh, precedes it in the uh, uh, cases, particularly with... Um, the apostles uh, uh, in the growth of the church that the, the Christians are coming forward um, through the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, the church is growing, and that you have this uh, incident with the uh, the selling of the property and the giving it to the poor, which we had a little bit in, in chapter 2, 245, but really uh, comes out here uh, with, with the case of Barnabas. Uh, in 4, 32 through 37 uh, in particular, uh, that helps us to understand then what's going on when Ananias and Sapphira come into the picture here. And I really do like how you put that in the intro there, that, that we understand Satan's attack on the church doesn't simply happen from the persecution from without, but with uh, hypocrisy and deceit that happens from within. Uh, so when we put it in that kind of a context, I think it helps us to really kind of get at what's going on here and what appears to be and is really kind of a tragic story in the early church, uh, but an important one for uh, us to hear as well as for the, uh, the, the, the whole church to hear uh, in, in um, what it means to be a Christian, what, uh, what the church is actually all about. I really think the uh, episode here with Ananias and Sapphira is really teaching us what what the church is, that it's not simply, uh, you know, a, a, a community of, of like-minded individuals, uh, a human institution, but it really is uh, the place where uh, the Holy Spirit dwells. We'll get a little bit more into that, but I think that helps with the kind of the, the context as we kind of move into this uh, episode here with Ananias and Sapphira. And nice thing is here with the text that we're going to look at today, we're going to get the Ananias and Sapphira story. Very important to understand what that's all about. Uh, but then we also kind of roll into as well the continuation, the transition uh, with the continued work of um, the apostles, as well as another episode that, like we've had earlier with the apostles being arrested. Right. This this text gets a, a pretty full gambit of what you get in the book of Acts. You get a little bit of everything. Some of the, the hypocrisy that threatens within the continued work of the Holy Spirit within the church and then the persecution from without. It kind of all congeals in, in this particular selection of text. And this this opening text that we have, Ananias and Sapphira, is a 
an unusual account, not only, I think, within the book of Acts, but, but well, I don't know. Are there any parallels elsewhere in scripture that we might think about when it comes to Ananias and Sapphira? Well, and that's the interesting thing. This really, and I hate to put it this way, but I think this is how we often see it. This really smacks of the Old Testament, uh, but you get, kind of get what I'm saying here. It, it's really this kind of uh, episode of God's judgment upon upon people. So, I mean, a, a good parallel would be, um, there's, a, there's a few in, uh, in the Old Testament, but a good parable in the Old Testament would be in Joshua, uh, um, the, uh, the episode with uh, Achan, uh, and that's in uh, Joshua chapter 7. Uh, just to kind of quickly rehash that, you have uh, basically the Israelites conquering uh, the land uh, after Joshua leads them over the Jordan to the promised land. Uh, you have the famous story of the, uh, that we all know of the fall of Jericho, but the less famous story of no, that's known as the sin of Achan, uh, where he took those things that were devoted to, to Yahweh, uh, that were devoted to destruction. Uh, and he, um, out of greed takes them and then as well, uh, is deceptive in that taking of them, uh, so that then, um, he's punished by God for that. So I think that's a, a fair parallel, I think, with the Old Testament that we have here. You also see, you know, kind of Peter kind of be, can be kind of compared, and we'll, we'll actually get really clear about what Peter's actual role is here, to sometimes some of the things that like Elijah or Elisha were doing when they were calling God down God's judgment upon, uh, upon um, uh, people in the Old Testament. Those are kind of parallels. It's, it's a little different, though, than what we really do kind of find uh, in the New Testament, uh, in the Gospels. Uh, but it's still significant because we understand that it's, we don't want to put up this false dichotomy that you have the bad God of the Old Testament and the nice God of the New Testament. Not at all. Right. We see that God works uh, uh, in, in mercy and in judgment in both Testaments uh, and that he properly does as his um, alien work punishing disobedience and sin. Uh, but we also see then his mercy shown forth. So we, we have those two things we need to rightly understand and distinguish. The thing I like about the the parallel from the book of Joshua, just thinking through the the narrative in Joshua, things are looking pretty good for the people of Israel through the fall of Jericho. You know, who's who's going to defeat us? Well, there's a threat from within that that they have to face there in Joshua chapter seven. Similarly, here in the book of Acts, and it's not perfect, but you've seen some persecution already, but it hasn't been that strong yet, and and things are looking pretty good for the church. You know, what could go wrong here? Well, here's a threat from within. And what I what I really what stands out to me in, in Acts chapter five is the role that Satan plays. And, and we'll read the text here in a second. But within the book of Acts so far, there's really been a, a focus, it seems, or maybe it's just in my own mind. Uh, we focused a lot on the human enemies of the church, mm-hmm. the Sanhedrin, as they've persecuted the church on a couple of occasions, and how the you know that's been brought up in the preaching of the apostles, that the the rulers align themselves against the Lord, but always in the background. There's Satan. And, and this, you know, hearing him mentioned here in Acts chapter five brings back to my mind all the way back in the gospel of Luke, where the same writer, he mentions that Satan entered into Judas. And it's not exactly the same degree that happens here in terms of a, an outright betrayal of the Lord, but maybe there's some parallels there. And I think it's it's important that Luke reminds us, hey, even when there aren't human enemies around Satan's always prowling around like a roaring lion too, and you got to watch out for his attacks. I think that's that's something else that's here in, in Acts chapter five that's that's important for us to pick up. 
Yeah, most definitely. Uh, we see the enemies of of the church, the enemies that are acting contrary to um, uh, the truth of God's word. Um, so, yeah, I think we'll, we'll pick that up a little bit more here as we dig into the text for sure. All right. Acts chapter five, beginning at verse one. But a man named Ananias with his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. We'll pause there. That takes us through verse 11 of our text today. So, Pastor Wergau, again, this is a pretty... A frightening story. There's no wonder I think that fear is is mentioned more than once here. Tell us, but give us, make sure we understand because there, there's some room for misunderstanding if we're not careful. Uh, what's going on here with Ananias and Sapphira? Right, exactly. I think uh, we need to kind of be clear about what is actually the root problem that's kind of going on. And Peter makes it very clear um, uh, what 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 is the problem. Uh, and the problem isn't that they weren't. Um, selling, uh, giving all their property. Uh, the fact of the matter is, is that they were, uh, it's hypocrisy. They were acting as if they were. And, and the base of that is deceit. And I think that's really the important thing. Now, greed does factor in, obviously, to this. Uh, greed is what fuels the deceit, that they weren't willing to give everything. But also important to understand it is the problem uh, or, or, or what is at issue here too is, is not that they – uh, that the, or I should say, the giving of the property uh, that Barnabas and others were doing was was a voluntary thing, and Peter makes that very clear when he talks about you know uh, this is uh, it was yours, and after you sold it, it was at your disposal. Uh, in fact, actually, the word in there is actually he has the authority, or he's in the right, right? It's his property, it's his right uh, to do these things. But the problem is, is that um, he took. This uh, the sold the property, sold the piece, and and acted as if he was giving all of it when really he was keeping some back. So really, the problem is greed, but it's more basic. It's the it's deceit. It's lying because Peter makes it very clear that he's lying uh, not to man but to the Holy Spirit. So so what Peter really makes clear is I think first that this was a voluntary thing that was done by believers, um, and I mean. Good works are, are, you know, not an option for believers. They are the fruits of faith. But selling of your property and giving to the poor is not 
a, a prescribed good work that everybody is called to do. But these, in their vocation in life, voluntarily uh, gave in this way. Uh, it was their right, and as Peter says, after it was sold, it was at his disposal. Right. The problem is, is that he um, again was was lying concerning this, and that this thing, Peter is very clear, is not from Christ. I mean, I think all our good good works come from Christ, like we have in Galatians two twenty. I live, but not Christ. I but Christ who lives in me. Uh, but this thing uh, was from Satan. Why has Satan filled your heart? And I think we'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, but again, the uh, although greed is certainly involved in this, it's the deceit that probably is the primary accusation. You've lied to the Holy Spirit, and again, that deceit, that lying, is not directed toward toward man. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? You've not lied to men, but to God, which again really does tell us and shows uh, and teaches us that the uh, that this uh, organization, that this congregation, that this church is not a um, thing that comes from below, but comes from above, uh, and that it is the place where the Holy Spirit uh, is at work. It's um, it says, uh, Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 3, God's temple and the Spirit of God dwells within those those people, um, as we've seen right from Pentecost onward. Therefore, this attack from within is not an attack against Peter. It's not an attack against uh, any of the other apostles. Uh, it's not deceit against them, but it's actually their deception is, is against God and their hypocrisy uh, is against God. Well, and so let, let's talk a little bit about the, the contrast that Peter's own words bring out. He, he asks Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? There's the, the contrast there is between the work of the Holy Spirit or the work of Satan. And it, it, I think at least one way we can think about what's going on here is that Ananias and Sapphira are acting as if what they are doing is coming from the Holy Spirit. Look, we gave this gift that is a gift to the Holy Spirit, a gift that comes from the Holy Spirit, when in fact, it's actually a work that's come about through the work of, of Satan and not an, an involuntary thing on their part, but something that they are cooperating in. They are working in conjunction with the enemy, mm -hmm. but they're acting as if this comes from the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. and, and when I think about it that way, it brings to mind some of the things that Jesus talks about when it, you know, when it comes to like blasphemy against the Holy Spirit and the conjunction of, you know, with, when he talks about that, there were people accusing him of actually working in conjunction with the devil. Here, that's what Ananias and Sapphira are up to. They're working in conjunction with the prompting of Satan, but they're acting as if it comes from the Holy Spirit. And there's just no room for that within this Christian church. It, you, there's got to be the clear confession of what's really going on here. I think that helps to explain why you have such a serious consequence happen, you know, just like that. Right. And that's, that's a very good point. I mean, it is, it is the, uh, the hypocrisy or the play acting that's kind of going on here. Uh, and, and, and right. I mean, those opposites are really important to keep in mind that Satan is opposed to the work of Christ. What you brought up, you know, uh, um, the accusation in Jesus' ministry that he casts out demons by Beelzebub and Jesus' re reply, can Satan be divided against Satan, right? And his kingdom will fall. Uh, and that is that is so true that, that Satan's not divided against himself, nor is the church divided against itself, but those two are opposed to one another uh, and, and cannot be reconciled. Um, and so, yeah, the, the Satan uh, opposes the truth of God. He's the one 
that is a liar from the beginning, as Jesus puts it in John 8 as well. Um, and uh, he's the one who's deceiving and misleading away from uh, away from the truth of Christ, where the Holy Spirit is actually the one who teaches, directs um, the disciples, the apostles in all truth, speaks uh, truth to them. Uh, and so there is no room for that, that falsehood or that hypocrisy in the midst of uh, – of uh, the work of the Holy Spirit. So again, um, uh, that is that inward attack that that's going on. And that deceit is really contrary to the will and nature of God. It's contrary to the first commandment, the second commandment. Mm-hmm. Uh, God's will is not uh, hypocrisy or deceit, uh, but, uh, but, uh, but truth uh, spoken in love. So it, I appreciate how you you keep emphasizing the matter of the deceit that's evident here, and that is what Peter's words make plain. Mm-hmm. He does not talk about their greed or their avarice in this case. He says it was yours to begin with. You could have kept it when you sold it. It was yours to do with at your disposal. You could have kept it. Why did you lie about it? Mm-hmm. So as I mean, as keeping that distinction clear and you know understanding what Peter is saying to Ananias. How how do we take this text and and apply it? There's certainly the first and second commandment issues at play, but it seems that we we can't entirely ignore the I think the seventh commandment issue of of greed and generosity. On the other hand, how do we how do we take a text like this and and make application in the church today, where people aren't dropping dead right at at church when <laughs> right. they lie about what they're giving or something like that? Well, not right away. Uh, <laughs> no, because um, I, I think that actually is an important thing. Um, with all of, maybe this is kind of going on a different tangent, but I kind of was a little serious when I was talking about they don't drop dead right away. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you have these things happening in the early church, the miraculous works, the signs, the wonders, and, and such as like Ananias and Sapphira, where deceit and greed uh, uh, against the Holy Spirit leads to immediate consequences in the uh, immediate consequences in, 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 in their deaths. Um you still have that, I think, even today, but it just takes a little bit longer. And that is sin has that way, greed uh, of working from the inside out to uh, when, when sin is left unchecked to actually destroy faith uh, and to um, uh, uh, break the community, to destroy the mission and work of Christ's church. Uh, when we're curved in upon ourselves uh, with greed and deceit uh, and not looking to really how we're called to live as Christians in repentance and faith and to bear fruit in love uh, uh, to God and, and, and love to our neighbor. Uh, and so it, I think this does actually, as, as crazy as this story is, or as, as kind of shocking as this story is, it really does relate to, to what, what the church is even today, because it's the same church and the same Holy Spirit uh, that is at work in the church today, uh, why that's significant then uh, for us here and now where you don't have such shocking events taking place, but still the, 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 the matter of God's law still stands and we as Christians are called in repentance and faith to live according to his commandments. And that relates to speaking the truth, that relates to um, not being hypocrites, that is acting in ways that doesn't actually reflect what we believe uh, uh, and teach and confess, or also in that sense with the seventh commandment, talking about actually how we use our, our money and our goods 
uh, in love and service to our neighbor. Uh, and, and all of this kind of springs from uh, a voluntary spirit that we, that we live in love. We're not compelled to sell everything we have and to give everything to the poor, but we are called to love our neighbor as ourselves. I, I think I think you're right about the, the thing that, you know, maybe it doesn't happen right now, but what will come? And, and the reason I, I think there's something there is is because of in the previous text, when the apostles are praying in response to the persecution they received, they bring up Psalm 2. And they talk about, you know, the, which the Psalm 2 talks about the ruler setting themselves against the Lord and against his anointed. But the Lord is always the one who gets the last laugh. And that happens quite literally in Psalm 2. He's actually laughing from heaven. Mm-hmm. And so anytime we would think we can get away with something from the Lord, we've got another thing coming. And and that's not to say that, you know, I mean, I, I'm not, not saying we want to be careful here. But at the same time, we can't take our sin lightly. And I, I think that's that's one of the things that we should understand from this text about Ananias and Sapphira is that the matter of deceit and hypocrisy and, and ultimately any sin against the Lord is not to be taken lightly. And if we think we can put one over on the Lord, you know, I, maybe I can fool Peter by putting the money at his feet. I'm never going to fool the Lord. Right. He, he always sees. So rather pay attention to how Psalm 2 ends. Kiss the son lest he be angry. Put your trust in him. That's true for the rulers, but it's also true for every single Christian. And so, yeah, I, I, you know, maybe slight jest there, but at the same time, sin is never to be taken lightly, especially in view of God's eternal judgment. Yeah. And kind of coming off of that, that had me thinking too about what Peter tells, which is a little bit different what he tells Sapphira as opposed to what he tells Ananias. And that is that he says, how is it that you uh, have agreed together, you and Ananias, to test the spirit of the Lord. And I think that really does get to kind of what we're getting at here. And the idea here, yeah, they don't drop, people nowadays don't drop dead uh, if they, uh, if they lie on their tax forms or, you know, say they've submitted so much to the church in that way. But that is this, this, this testing of the Lord. F.F. Uh, F. Bruce, I've been using his kind of commentary and looking at this, says, um, as it was, both husband and wife had been detected in a deliberately conceived plan to see how far they could go in presuming on the forbearance of the Spirit of God, which is meant by tempting him. And they had gone too far. And I think that's what we mean when we talk about testing God, uh, putting God to the test, uh, that is seeing how far we can push the envelope. Uh, I think that kind of does, I don't know, I think some would disagree with me, but uh, we just recently had uh, uh, the second Sunday of Easter with Doubting Thomas, a very familiar story. And Thomas, you know, basically testing God, tempting God, saying, putting God up to the test to say, I'm not going to believe unless I have these proofs. And Jesus gives him the proofs, you know, that shows him his, his nails and, and marks and, and, the, and the mark in his side. Uh, but that's a dangerous game. Uh, and not one that we're given to do is to test the Lord or to, to dabble in sin, to test God's, uh, to test God's mercy. Uh, and, 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 and very much so to understand that you can't pull one over on God. And we should not, as the scripture adamantly tells us, Deuteronomy 6, and, and Jesus brings us up in his temptation in Matthew 4, and Paul brings it up in 1 Corinthians 10. We don't put God to the test. Uh, it never ends well. 
Mm. You bring up Thomas and his example of unbelief in John 20. And here we have Peter, who we will recall from the Gospels, has an example of unbelief himself, denying the Lord. And and you talked a little bit about, you know, he speaks to both Ananias and Sapphira here. And I suppose that's not surprising. Peter's been the one who's doing most of the speaking that we've heard so far in the book of Acts from from the apostles. But what I mean, what is his role in all of this? Because uh, at least on on the surface, he might look kind of like a bad guy, like who do you think you are, Peter, to say this to Ananias and Sapphira? What's his role? Right. And I think that's so we're, it's very important to understand. We're not looking at the personality of, of Peter. We're not even looking at the person of Peter. We're looking at his office. Uh, that is his office as an apostle where Christ placed him and where Jesus says, you know, in Luke ten sixteen, he who hears you hears me and he who rejects you rejects me and he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. That he's an apostle, literally a sent one uh, and, and one of the uh, uh, many apostles that were sent out into the early church with that authority, which was given to them by Christ himself, uh, where Jesus says in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and do these things. Uh, and so I think it's best of you, Peter, in that role. And and what are apostles given to do? And I, you know, we've kind of had this with, with kind of these magnificent um, manifestations in the early church and to confirm this new Testament, uh, this, this, this new Testament and, 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 Christ church with the, you know, the events of Pentecost and then all the healings that we'll get to here a few more. But what it really comes down to is those things are secondary to actually the, the office that Peter is given along with the other apostles um, uh, that he is then uh, called to speak in the stead and by the command of Christ. Otherwise, if it's just Peter's, you know, uh, person, or if it's just Peter as 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 you know a leader of of this group, then yeah, he is a hypocrite because I mean he's the one that uh, uh, lied in denying who Jesus was. He was restored then, uh, uh, and he's the one you know who failed many times in in the account in Luke's gospel. But when we understand that Peter is given by our Lord to 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 this role as a uh, apostle of his church and to speak then uh, not by his own authority, but uh, as Christ has given him to speak is really significant. And that really does kind of understand in this episode with Ananias and Sapphira, what does Peter do in that role? Uh, he doesn't kill Ananias and Sapphira. He doesn't stone them to death or anything like that. What we see Peter doing is speaking the word and that's what he's given to do. Mm-hmm. And that's an important point. And the commentary that I've been using by RCH Linsky, he makes the point, and I think it's helpful, that in Peter speaking, he does not say anything at all about Ananias's death. He only speaks ahead of time about Sapphira's death. And, and Linsky suggests, and I think he's right, that that's just another indicator that, look, this is not Peter causing these deaths. He is simply announcing the word of the Lord the Lord is the one who's active here in this text, just as he's been all along in the whole book of Acts. And we'll keep talking more about that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking Acts chapter 5 with Pastor Sam Wargal. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you 
know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, May 5th. We're studying Acts chapter 5, verses 1 to 21a with Pastor Sam Wergau. He serves at Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Ossian, Indiana. Pastor Wergau, prior to the break, we were talking about how the Lord is the one who's active here in Acts chapter 5. This is not Peter doing something. He is speaking the Lord's word. The Lord is the one who actually executes this judgment against Ananias and Sapphira. And and you mentioned earlier that there's some parallels here that we can draw between the book of Joshua and what happens with Achan's sin. I can't how did you how did you phrase it? That's that's so old testament, it sounds like. And, <laughs> right. Smacks of the old testament. A, yeah. <laughs> that's what that was it. That was it. Yeah. Sometimes there's this confusion within the church, even, and certainly outside the church, that the old testament God is mean and the New Testament God is nice. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what happens here in Acts chapter five, we haven't seen this kind of judgment yet in the book of Acts. How how are we to understand this being the Lord himself active in Acts chapter five with this judgment. What are we to make of that? Right. I think it's, it's a proper understanding because again, it's, 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 it's the same Lord. It's the same Yahweh of, uh, of Joshua. That's the, uh, that's the Lord of his church in the new Testament as well. And, and how God always has worked uh, has been, uh, by his word, by his word of law, which kills, and by his word of gospel, which gives life. Uh, and I think that's an important way we understand. We, we often use the term uh, in catechesis, I, I use it uh, as God's alien work and God's God's proper work. So, that might be familiar to our listeners, but God's alien work is that God disob- uh, that God, um, I should say, that God punishes disobedience. Uh, that it provokes him to righteous anger, right? You think of how we close the commandments. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the fathers. But then we also understand God's loving kindness and his grace uh, moves him to forgive and to bless for the sake of Christ, which we call God's proper work. Now, um, God continues both works and in, in, in working in both ways uh, in this in in the church today, as He was working in the Old Testament church. Now, we're not really given to say honestly why God acts in one way in this way and and in another way in this way. You know what I'm saying? Like, why did Peter come to repentance and is restored, and and Ananias and Sapphira aren't given that? Uh, aren't given that right that they 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 drop dead uh that i think delves a little bit more into the hidden god uh yeah. where we don't want to really say well why ananias and sapphira and not peter right why some and not right. others uh but we strictly we need to stick with god speaks his word of truth and that word of truth kills and makes alive uh brings to repentance and god's proper work and desire is that all come to repentance and to be saved for sure. Uh, and, and so I think it's important for us to keep that in mind that what we have here is God's not at fault here. God's not in the dock here about uh, why does he, uh, uh, why does he kill Ananias and Sapphira because of this sin uh, precisely because 
they deserved it as much as any sin is deserved. Mm-hmm. We just give thanks to God when he does actually show mercy to Peter or to, to others throughout the book of Acts. Uh, and so I think that's a good way we kind of understand that and understand that <laughs> the episode with Ananias and Sapphira should be uh, um, should should allow us to understand properly or to examine our own lives, I should say, in that sense, to be preached to us so that we repent uh, and, and receive that mercy of God in Christ Jesus. And as a warning, honestly, and I think that's what it really does kind of fall into for the, for the church as this great fear comes upon them uh, when they hear these things. They're not dealing with just any uh, institution like the Sanhedrin or, or, uh, or the, you know, the Roman councils or something like that. They're dealing with the church of God. Mm, right. Right. Who is who, the church of God, which is created by the work of the Holy spirit mm-hmm. to whom you dare not lie. Right. And, and I think, you know, I think what you're saying about the warning that's here is that's precisely the purpose. And Paul writes this way in first Corinthians 10, he's talking about what happens to the people of Israel in their wilderness wanderings. But as we're saying, it's the same God in the Old and New Testament. And so to take what Paul writes there in 1 Corinthians 10 and apply it to a New Testament narrative, I think is perfectly legitimate where he, you know, he says, these things are written down for our instruction. So take heed lest you fall. If you think you stand, watch out so that you don't in your pride fall like Ananias and Sapphira. And yeah, I think that that that's perfectly there. I mean, when you get the reaction of of fear that is there, it happens in verse five. And also again in, oh, it's at the very end of the text, verse 11, that there's this great fear that falls upon the whole church. And, and that reaction, there's something to that for us that we would take heed lest we fall. Now, let's talk there, Pastor Wargal, because you pointed this out to me in verse 11. I think this this is a good segue that in verse 11, that's actually the first time that the word church, as, as that word in Greek is used here in the book of Acts. Now, we've been using it throughout our conversation, and I know I've used it throughout, but talk a little bit about the importance of the word church, particularly showing up here in Acts 5.11. Right, exactly. And this is the first time I think it's going to be in the 20s, the amounts of time it's used in, in Acts. And then, of course, in the epistles as well. Jesus had actually used this term as well earlier when he says, uh, um, on this rock, I will build my church. Very familiar. Uh, and the gates of hell will not uh, prevail against it. So, to understand that the church is built on Christ uh, and on that uh, office and confession of, of, of Peter. But uh, this word here for church that we often use as in Greek is ekklesia, which literally means to, to be called out of, uh, to be called out of, or, and, and even with that sense, um, called out of and called together. And we, I mean, we, we rightly understand the church and ecclesia, uh, uh, as we have it, I think even as simple as the small catechism, you know me, I always go back to the small catechism, right. but, uh, the third article of the creed, I believe in the Holy Christian church, right? The Holy spirit, the Holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And, and how Luther puts it in that explanation is so great to understand that, um, uh, the Holy spirit has called me by the gospel, but so too, as he called, gathered, enlightened, and sanctified the entire Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith by the word of the gospel. So we understand this church is, again, I keep saying this, but not some human organization, but it is precisely those. And it's not like we all just decided to get together one day and be church. And now we continue it generation after generation. The church is there because, and the Christians are there because 
the Holy Spirit has called them by the word of the gospel and through baptism and through uh, 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 the preaching of the word into this uh, visible fellowship, yes, but also this invisible fellowship of of the faithful uh, who trust in their in their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and, and that's what you have going on from from very beginning of Acts, right, with the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and it's what's continued forward for sure. Um, and it's called several different names, I think, throughout. So you have it called the Way, uh, uh, and and um, or, or the Brothers, uh, or they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of the bread and the prayers, right? And they, uh, ways that it's being described. But here you do have that word used, church, which is going to be kind of the lasting word that kind of goes forward. Uh, this ecclesia, these who are called out of the world and called together by the by the Holy Spirit. Uh, uh, to be one, uh, and 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 that's um, significant to understand. Then, uh, because when we get to verse eleven, great fear comes upon the whole church, and that is there there they as um, members of this body are seeing what is taking place, and it actually does lead to to a, a reverence or a fear uh, about what is being uh, what is happening and what is being done in their midst. So with that, let's move into the rest of the text as we see this church begin to, well, continue to do what the church does and also to face more of that persecution that we've seen already. So we're picking up now in Acts 5 verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. That's where our text ends for today through the middle of verse 21 there. We got a bit of a cliffhanger here, I will admit, Pastor Wurgau. I learned that from television, that if we end with a cliffhanger, you, you watch the next episode. In our case, you listen. So yeah. so that's where our, our text does end. Two, two things, I think, going on here, a bit of a transition, mm -hmm. and then into the beginning of this time of persecution again. So let's talk about those transitional verses that give a bit of a summary of the life of the church at this point, verses 12 to 16. What are some of the highlights we need to see? Yeah. Um, so you see, again, once again, you have this kind of an understanding of the, uh, uh, the signs and the wonders that are being done, many signs and wonders regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. This is very similar to what uh, Luke has already mentioned in, in Acts 2, 43 through 47. And, and four thirty-two through thirty-five. Um, again, I mentioned this before, but you know you have these great, magnificent signs and wonders are really a confirmation of their message and their apostolic authority. Um, and we see a good parallel here with with uh, with what Jesus has done in the response of Jesus uh, to Jesus' miracles uh, and the things that he's done is that there is um, that he does. 
these signs and these wonders, and then there's great uh, amazement or, or fear. But I mean, our Lord himself gave the charge in Mark 16, 1620, when, uh, uh, or, you know, when he gave the charge, um, I'm sorry, not in 1620, but in 1617, uh, these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They'll cast out demons, they'll speak in new tongues, they'll pick up serpents, and they'll drink deadly poison. It will not hurt them, and they will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. Uh, and And then Mark ends his gospel there. Uh, they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by these accompanying signs. Um, and so this is kind of significant for our understanding of, of why do we have all these amazing things going on. It's not for the glory of, of the apostles, but for the sake of, of this is um, how the church, uh, it, how God confirms in the church uh, the work that he is, that he is doing. Um, uh, yeah. Go ahead. Just briefly on with God confirming the work that he's doing through these signs and wonders, that's not happening today, it would seem. Or, or is, I mean, why, why is it that, you know, I mean, there's nobody who's wondering, worried about my shadow falling across <laughs> them anymore. I, why, what, how do we, how do we talk about that? At least briefly, Pastor Werger, because I think that's a question that comes up with the text. Like oh yeah. This. And it's very much, very much so. And some, some would, uh, you know, you kind of have charismaticism uh, that that finds its way into various church bodies, uh, where they're looking for these kind of visual signs uh, to be confirmed uh, once again. Uh, and I think what we kind of look at is to know that the scriptures talk about this in several places where these things do come to an end. This kind of uh, period in the church with these magnificent signs and wonders do come to an end. The tongues cease, and and so on and so forth. And and that's important for us to understand. Uh, so that we so that we see though that though these magnificent signs and wonders and the work of God in doing these things continues uh, and and that's of course key to understand that God doesn't abandon his church but he still is at work uh, actually I always talk about this in greater miracles than than these than these signs and wonders of of the sick being healed uh, or the um, uh, uh, you know, the um, afflict those being healed or those being afflicted, being brought better uh, and all these things is the greater miracle that God works through his church now is the forgiveness of sins in Jesus name. And that's going on here in Acts, of course, too. And and you think about the episode with in, in the in Luke uh, with the uh, Jesus healing the paralytic. And he says, first, um, your sins are forgiven. And then, of course, they say, uh, who is this that can forgive sins? And he says, what's easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise, uh, uh, take up your bed and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins, he says, take up your bed and walk. The more important thing, the primary thing, and the harder thing is the forgiveness of sins. Uh, that's the core thing. Uh, and And that's what you know, sin is what leads to the decay and the sickness and the death. Uh, but the forgiveness of sins in, in Christ's name is is what the church is still about this day. Uh, and can, God continues to work that forgiveness of sins, which again is the greater miracle here. Uh, and that is where we look for the church to, and God to be manifested in his church is where he is uh, with his word of the gospel, uh, preached and he is forgiving sins and he is working miracle of baptism and and the lord's supper and and the absolution uh forgiving the sins of people whether they're sick or healthy 
Well, and, and then in that forgiveness of sins, there is the hope of the resurrection of the body. You, you mentioned the third article of the creed, and that's precisely how the third article progresses. And it, the same in the explanation, you know, in this Christian church, he daily and richly forgives my sins and the sins of all believers. And then on the last day, he will raise me and all the dead and give eternal life to me and all believers in Christ. And so that that bodily healing will come and it will come to those of us who are receiving that miracle of the forgiveness of sins right now. And I mean, so I think when we tie the resurrection in, which is what the apostles are preaching mm-hmm. anyways, mm-hmm. is the resurrection in Jesus, then then those things do come together and, and we're not left wanting because this precise sign isn't given in this way. We're waiting for the fullness that will be given on the last day at the resurrection. And the beautiful thing is that's what's also promised to those people that are being healed uh, in in Acts because they they're healed maybe of their diseases. Peter's shadow falls upon them. Uh, you know, great, wonderful, marvelous things happening, but they still died. <laughs> and and so their ultimate hope was not in that temporary healing, but it was in the forgiveness of sins and the resurrection on the last day as well. So we're in the same boat as them. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Now, Pastor Wargal, before we move on, was there anything left in that the middle section here transition before we move on to that last bit in verses 17 to 21? No, I think uh, I think that's pretty good. Other than we do kind of have this this uh, also put in there that you have two things happening at the same time. Uh, you have the fear uh, that uh, none the rest dared none of the rest dared to join them uh, uh, in verse 13. But then in the same hand, you have this in verse 14 that the Lord adds more and more to their numbers. Uh, you have both going on at the same time, which I think is significant. The growth of the church is also comes in way of rejection, that there are those, just like our Lord's earthly ministry, his signs and wonders that he does, some followed him because of that, some rejected him because of that. So just as it happened with our Lord, so does it happen for his church. There's those who receive him, who believe in him, and there are those who receive him not. Now, in verse 17, we get a a bit of a repeat of something that's happened before. We see this throughout the book of Acts where there is times of persecution. And I think it's building is one of the things we will start to see here in the book of Acts that things begin to escalate from what we saw in chapter four. Mm -hmm. So help us into these these verses that, again, it's a bit of a cliffhanger here, but, but help us into these verses with the persecution that starts. But then already the the miracle that the Lord begins to work in the midst of that. Yeah, I think it's a beautiful, uh, it's a beautiful cliffhanger because it brings us, uh, it brings us out of the prison of death to the uh, break of day, which I think is very much resurrection language here. So you do have the the party of the Sadducees rises up, jealousy. They arrest the apostles. They put them in prison. So this is very much paralleling for. Uh, uh, beginning of chapter four. And you remember the Sadducees, they give us the reason there uh, in four that they arrest the uh, the apostles uh, and bring them before this. Uh, I believe they bring them before the Sanhedrin there in four. But the reason that they do that is because they're preaching the resurrect Jesus and the resurrection of the dead. And the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They don't believe in Jesus either. Uh, but that's the thing that gets them. But here in Luke, uh, they say that they're filled with jealousy, which I think is really interesting. This idea of the human jealousy that derives from kind of the selfish ambition of the heart and unbelief, right? They're jealous mm-hmm. uh, that they're, many are being added to the numbers, that they're continuing to preach this thing that they don't believe in. Um, so in four, they're arrested, they're brought before the council, they're warned, and then they're released. But here they're arrested and they're actually put into the public prison. And we're going to see this happen a couple more times, once with Peter, once with Paul in chapter 12 and and, and chapter 16, uh, that they're put into prison, 
Um, and then during the night, they're released from the prison. Uh, and again, it's God's work again. Uh, God is working in his church in these uh, magnificent ways, uh, uh, frees the apostles uh, from the prison because they continue to have work to do. Uh, I think that's really significant of the reason why. Why are they released from prison? Well, the angel says, he says, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Uh, they are released so that they can speak. And and again, I maybe I'm making too much of this, but I think this is a beautiful imagery of they're at night in the prison in the, in, in, and then they're, they're released from the the strong death, strong bands uh, to quote a Luther hymn here. Uh, and then they're brought at the break of day uh, to speak that word of life in the temple. Uh, and it's that very word of life. That is, it's the preaching of Christ. I mean, Jesus, uh, or I think of um, uh, uh, John six sixty eight, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life or Jesus in John 14 saying, I am the way, the truth and the life. Um they're released from the prison so they can keep talking about Jesus. Hmm. Well, and you know, I mean, I know that it, within the Greek text of, of course, there are no, there's not punctuation. There aren't capital or lowercase letters. The ESV makes an editorial decision here that I think is right. When in verse 20, it actually capitalizes the word mm -hmm. life, mm -hmm. go and stand in the temple and speak to the people, all the words of this life, that it's not just, life in general, but this very specifically, the life who is Jesus. And I, I think, so I think that's right mm -hmm. to capitalize the the word life there. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Very much so. Um, yeah. It's, 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 it's a wonderful way to kind of end this little section here. Yeah. And, and too, you know, I mean, as you, as you mentioned, the, the specific preaching of the resurrection that has gotten under the Sadducee skin before, <laughs> yeah. you know, the fact that they're out at the temple and it's daybreak when they're preaching, it doesn't seem to be a coincidence no, that yeah. this is the same time of the Lord's resurrection. And, and no doubt that's what the apostles are there in the temple proclaiming at daybreak yet again. Yeah. So it, it is, a, you know, it's a bit of a cliffhanger, although you kind of know where we're going in the text as we've, we've seen it happen already, that the Lord is going to make use of this time of persecution as an opportunity to proclaim the good news about Jesus, which is already happening in this text and will happen more fully as the chapter continues. And just looking at this, this text as a whole, and again, as we said, we kind of get a, a bit of everything in the selection we've got today. How can we kind of tie all these texts together as we wrap up with about four minutes left, Pastor Wargal? Yeah, hopefully it's not too much of a cop-out, but I think the best way we tie these texts together is with the whole theme of Acts, and it's how God is working in his church to bring the word of God to the ends of the earth. Um, uh, and so you see it here uh, kind of just very much in a... Uh, uh, a nascent form or an early form and, and, and you have it expanding and kind of going outward. Um, I, I, I didn't quite pick up on that here, uh, but I think it, it is the case with the section we just looked at. Uh, yeah, the people are gathering from the towns around Jerusalem, right? So you kind of have this outward kind of motion that that's kind of coming about and it'll keep expanding from there. But again, this is the work of the, of, of the Holy Spirit in his church. And that church, as you put it right at the beginning, is, is attacked from within and without uh, by Satan, but the devil's not going to, uh, the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it for sure. But we see very clear, this doesn't paint a rosy picture about the life of the church. It's one that 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 um, 
comes under hardship, deceit, malice, hypocrisy, what have you here. Uh, and we see that the church is made up of, 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 of these sinners who, who are afraid and these sinners who uh, uh, lie and deceive. Uh, but ultimately, we see God at work in his church. Again, notice this. This is important. Through his word. He's at work in his church through his word the word preached by the apostles. Uh, uh, so the apostles are there, they're working Peter and the others, but they are working not under their own person or their own, own authority, but by the office that's been entrusted to them to preach the word of God. Um, and we see the manifestation of that through the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, both in God's, uh, again, alien work and punishing hypocrisy, deceit, uh, and greed and avarice. But we also see it there very much in uh, God's work uh, uh, of healing the sick, raising the dead, um, uh, and uh, the proclamation of the forgiveness of sins for Christ's sake, the proclamation of the resurrection from the dead, which really does tie tie everything together. Uh, this will be the continue. This is what the church again continues to do today. It doesn't have the same visible manifestations, but it has the same word of the gospel. It has the same uh, forgiveness of sins that is given uh, uh, for the sake of of the the head of the church, uh, uh, our Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor Sam Wergau is pastor at Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Ossian, Indiana, helping us today with Acts chapter 5, verses 1 to 21a. Pastor Wergau, thanks for being our guest today. Oh, it's always a pleasure. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Acts chapter 5 or any of the book of Acts, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. You can also use the open mic feature on the app to send up to a 60-second message to us. We always love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.